Chelsea fans, welcome back to another edition of the Lad for Matthew Harden podcast. I'm very excited to introduce the new Lad for Matthew Harden blogs that will complement the podcast from here on out. And what better way to kick things off on the blog than a mailbag episode where you, the listener, took time to send in a question for the wonderful member of the London is Blue podcast community that is Joe Tweeds and I'd answer. Joe, first of all, thanks so much for joining me on the network today. How's everything going, man? Yeah, I think it's going really well, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this uh, this new blog of yours take off. So uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me on to be, I think I'm the first guest technically. So I'll take that <laughs> as the uh, as my first cap. Yeah, when I was thinking of doing a mailback episode, I mean, I knew exactly who to contact. Going into our topic today, which is the summer transfer, and it's kind of been overshadowed by the Euros over these past couple of days, and rightly so. But this is what we're here to talk about today, Joe. We had a lot of questions surrounding how deals are done during the Euros, how that affects business maybe afterwards, how it affects the player's value. So we're getting to all that, but as well, we're going to cover some players that people are specifically talking about. But first of all, let's get into the European Championships because a lot of people are wondering how players going off on international duty affects maybe the futures of their club if they're running out of contract or maybe they're asking for a transfer. So specifically, we're talking about the likes of Romelu Lukaku and Harry Kane right now. They both had had press conferences with the England team, the Belgium team, respectfully. Their agents have spoken out about their futures. Of course, they're kind of keeping it low key right now because they're focusing on their country and, and rightly so. So what are your thoughts on the likes of Lukaku and Kane right now? Because they're really big stories two weeks ago, but now after they've spoken in the press, <laughs> The stories have kind of down, down a little bit, especially with Lukaku. I'm pretty sure the past week, his agent has said some interesting things as well. So what are your thoughts on those two players specifically? Because it's looking less and less likely that, that Chelsea can bring these players in right now. Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting first question because I think when it comes to, let's say, any kind of international tournament, obviously we have the Euros, we have the World Cup, whatever, whatever it's going to be in the summer. When you have kind of talismanic figures for those countries, Kane and Lukaku, obviously they are two of the better players for each of uh, each of their respective countries. There is, I think, certainly a level of professionalism that comes in whereby you don't want to necessarily entertain the sort of media merry-go-round that happens when you're kind of heavily linked to other clubs. So if you kind of think about Romelu Lukaku saying, you know, he's happy at Inter, et cetera, this sort of big statement that he put out before the tournament. For me, that's very much a, a sort of PR move to ensure that he doesn't have tons of questions and have this sort of saga hanging over him in the international tournament. It would be the same with, with Harry Kane as well. Um, you know, when you are kind of, you know, at, at the level that these guys are with respect to their, their individual countries, you do not necessarily want to be going into every game having a huge amount of um, sort of outside noise and speculation kind of hanging over you. It can certainly impact your, um, you know, your performances and your ability to, to to play at the level that is required for you to to be the, the sort of the, the the talismanic kind of character that you are for your country. So, I think with both of them, and, and maybe sort of certainly leaning more into Lukaku here because I think his agent has been slightly more vocal. Um, I see his kind of desires and wishes and everything that he's sort of communicating pre-tournament really is a, a very sort of smart move from him and his people to ensure that he's not having this question hanging over him. Um, and the thing is as well, as much as, as, you know, transfers, I think people maybe kind of, you know, uh, because of the, the nature of people play football manager and FIFA and all these sort of computer games, 
I think people sometimes detach from the reality of what a transfer actually entails and the pressure that it puts on the individual player. So if you're, you know, if you're Lukaku and there's there's a huge link for you going to Chelsea, it's not just about the transfer, it's about relocating to another country. It's about all of the family matters that you have to deal with. So much that surrounds a, a transfer that can can you know cause you to to feel stressed, can cause you can cause you to feel anxious. And and that is not sort of the the sort of the mentality that you want to be entering into you know, any kind of football match, especially in a, in a, you know, an international tournament that happens every four years. So I think, you know, what we're seeing from, from Kane and from Lukaku and probably from other players that have had, you know, maybe links away from, from their clubs, maybe they're not at the profile that Lukaku and, and Kane are. Um, but I think you will see and you'll, you'll kind of almost sort of, uh, yeah, sort of see from these players an attempt to, to push that sort of media narrative and pressure and speculation and scrutiny push it to the side, sort of compartmentalise it so they can focus purely on the on the tournament. Obviously, for the for the clubs that want to try and buy these players, eventually it makes negotiations and things of that nature quite difficult. But I think we'll probably get onto that in a, in a, in a little bit as well. Thank you once again to Ollie Lange and, and RJ Goodwin for attending that question. And it's interesting, right, because specifically with Kerry, Harry Kane transitioned into the England number nine, his agents were leaking stories even before the end of the Premier League season talking about how they wanted to get that deal done before the championships even started so now it's interesting how the narratives kind of changed and even though Kane always wanted to focus on the England squad because he is just so important to their success in this tournament especially with with the sacking of Mourinho and bringing in a new manager the uncertainty behind the club's future I think that's what's really get into Harry Kane's mind right now. And he's probably going to be, if Holland doesn't go this summer, the most expensive player that, that a club signs. So Harry Kane, Romelu Lukaku, I know a lot of people take quotes very seriously, but at the same time, I think especially with Lukaku, like you mentioned, tweets, you have to take a little, a little bit of grain of salt with it just because it is before the national tournament. He wants to focus on the Belgium national team. And let's not forget, one of his best friends in Antonio Conte just left the club. And I'm not going to say that he's going to follow Conte whatever he, wherever he's going to go. But, I mean, that, that takes an effect on a player. He put out a post about it. So we'll see what happens with Romelu Lukaku because I think the interest from Chelsea is, of course, still there. Now let's get into an interesting player because this is a guy who hasn't really been talked about in Chelsea's summer plans, especially from top, top reporters. But there's been, of course, so much interest in this player because he's just so so good and he got robbed of the Ballon d'Or last season by UEFA and that is one Robert Lewandowski our good friends Pat Larson and Paul are asking about the potential Ballon d'Or winner for this season asking about if Lewandowski is a realistic option for Chelsea if I'm not mistaken he has one year left on his Bayern Munich contract he's won literally everything with the German club like I mentioned last season, he had one of the best statistical seasons of all time. And his goal rate per 90, his assist rate per 90 was just unbelievable. Even when you take out penalties from the occasion, like he scored 40 plus goals in the Bundesliga this year. Like that's absolutely unheard of. Broke a record for a season single season, a single season. So do you think this Lewandowski rumor is at all under the eyes of Chelsea management right now? Do you think they're thinking about it? Because he might not be as expensive as a guy like Lukaku or a guy like Kane or like, like a guy like Holland. But in the short term, if Chelsea are looking for the short term striker, Lewandowski is probably the perfect option. 
there's certainly some very interesting parallels here. So, mm. you know, if you think of uh, think of it from the German perspective, if Lewandowski moves um, this this summer, um, let's say Chelsea hypothetically are the team that buy him, I'm almost certain that Bayern will make a huge kind of push for Erling Haaland next season. So, you know, that pay that buyout clause the following season. And again, you will have, you know, Bayern cherry picking um, Dortmund's best striker. Obviously, Lewandowski came from Dortmund to Bayern. Um, if they then are able to ship Lewandowski out and then buy Haaland the, the following season, um, that is some very, very kind of weird symmetry in, in terms of how that would potentially work out. When it comes to Chelsea, I think what you're looking at with some of these transfer rumours and, and heavily linked players is that I think the club is moving into what I would call a win-now phase. So, you know, you look at the links to Erling Haaland, you look at the links to, to Declan Rice, you look at the links to uh, Hakimi that have emerged very recently. All of these kind of players to me suggest that the club is looking at a, a very much a kind of win-now window. And if you cannot sort of uh, put together a, a sort of financial package that Dortmund are, are happy with when it comes to, to Haaland, then trying to sign Lewandowski with a year left on his contract may not be the worst thing in the world. I mean, you, you have obviously a, a player who has probably been in the conversation for the best centre forward in world football for maybe the past, I don't know, five, seven years or how, however long he's been really playing in Germany. Um, whether he would then come in and, and be able to replicate that at Chelsea, I, I'd be very surprised if he hit 40 goals at Chelsea just given how we play. But I think in terms of a striker that maybe you, you're looking at as a bridge for two seasons, maybe three, um, I think from that perspective, it would be would be relatively sensible. The one thing I would say, certainly looking at Lewandowski and potential rumours, is that it seems to me that Chelsea are very much focused on their kind of 1A targets. And by that, I mean, you know, if you look at sort of the rumours for, for strikers, you know, it's Lukaku, it's Haaland, it's, there's not really that much, you know, that there, there are a few kind of tentative links here, but it seems to me that the focus is very much making serious pushes for these 1A players. Um, you know, if you read Matt Law and, and, and others who, who have decent links into the club, it seems to be, again, that there is a priority to sign a striker and a midfielder, and the midfielder, again, appears to be, appears to be Declan Rice. I think Hakimi is probably a byproduct of the market situation that Inter Milan find themselves in. A player that Chelsea have obviously been long-term admirers of, and maybe the market has opened up. Um, and I do believe there is a certain amount of agility that you need as a club in being able to react to situations that present themselves to you, particularly as, again, this summer, Chelsea are one of a handful of clubs, or probably less than a handful of clubs now, maybe there's two or three clubs who really can spend in, in sort of this kind of post-pandemic post period that we're hopefully entering in globally we're one of the few clubs that still have a lot of financial clout there so with Lewandowski I think what he does he gives you maybe a a cheaper option but I think he still gives you quality for, for two three seasons maybe that allows you to focus some of that enormous amount of money that you would spend on Holland and in bringing in one or two midfielders maybe getting a, a good centre back maybe again you know looking at, at bringing in in Hakimi that sort of money could could get you, you know, if we're looking at like 150 to 170 you could definitely buy you know, Declan Rice, Aurelian, Shuameni, you could buy Hakimi, you could buy yourself a centre-back. You're, you're kind of setting up the team for the next, you know, five-plus years. Um, so maybe there's an argument to be made there. So it'll be interesting to see, I think, how how strong that rumour is because, you know, I think Paul, for me, is the clear favourite in terms of what the club would like to do. But when you think about sort of the, the money and, 
and, and what that potentially could unlock in other areas of the pitch. I think you have to make that, that balance and you have to make that judgment call. Having this huge concentration of investment on Haaland, obviously, you know, incredible player. We'll probably talk about him a bit more in detail in a bit. But having that investment in him means that you probably have to kind of draw back a little bit elsewhere in terms of what you can invest in. Um, so that for me is the only judgment call. And I think that probably is what somebody like Lewandowski would give you, is that freedom to, to invest and, con- and put some of that concentration of money into other areas of need. Mm. It's a great shout from the position standpoint and trying to balance out what our transfer plans are going to be this summer. And I was absolutely baffled, but I wasn't surprised when I looked Lewandowski's stats over these past couple of days. And when you compare him with the likes of Ronaldo, with the likes of Paul and with the likes of even Lionel Messi, I mean, he's eclipsed in every single one of those players and not just goals per 90, but as well, creativity per 90, how he moves with the ball, how he doesn't take too many penalties, but he still scores 35, 40 plus goals a season. I mean, he is right up there with the best players who have ever graced his plan over the past couple of years. So, I mean, he is... I think so underrated. He was the best player in the Champions League last season and they won the quadruple last season by Munich. So, I mean, this is a player who maybe wants a new challenge. He hasn't been to England yet, but he's so successful in Germany that you think that if he gets a plug and play into this Chelsea side for even two years, that Premier League title could could be a really realistic uh, possibility for the team. So now actually mentioned at the likes of Holland. I'm going to move on to my next question, um, which is from at Blue CFC on Twitter. It's kind of a short question at the same time. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, because there have been reports, especially over the past 48 hours, talking about Holland's future. He's not playing in the Euros, um, but Mina Raiola, it seems like he's playing in the Euros because he's talking every single day. Um, <laughs> it seems like they want 300K per week for the player. They want a huge salary, as Simon Johnson has reported these past 24 hours. So Blue CFC on Twitter asks, what percentage do you give Holland to Chelsea this summer? Oh, that's a good one. Um, it's hard. It's a hard one. It, 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 it's tricky because, that, okay, I, I'll, maybe I'm going to, I'm not going to maybe give a percentage, but I'll give a statement that I think will maybe give, give the, it's almost like a binary, like a binary question here. If Roman Abramovich really wants Erling Haaland if he really really wants him he will be a Chelsea player he will pay the money he will pay him the salary he will do whatever he can to to make him a Chelsea player if for whatever reason you know Abramovich you know is whatever you know the transfer committee the people running the club whatever said well you know maybe that money could be better well spent um he won't be a Chelsea player it will it will come down to in my opinion whether the owner um really wants the player because, you know, 300k a week, I think that's only a tiny bit more on, you know, than what Kante's on at the moment. So it's it's not like we're completely destroying the Chelsea wage structure. I think some people were maybe unaware that Kante's on like 290k a week. You know, it was reported, I think, a couple of seasons ago, but it's just one of those things that seems to have gone under the radar. Um, and obviously for Kante's ability and the player he is, that, that seems a fair amount of money. I think people are maybe looking at it in the context of, you know, some of Chelsea's academy products you know, on like 100k a week, you know, how does that sort of make them feel if someone comes in on three times the amount of money? Um, They have the opportunity to renegotiate. And I think the thing that I've always said with Chelsea's academy products, because you're not paying the amortization on the transfer fee, you know, even if you were to give one of them, uh, you know, 200k a week, for example, Mason Mount jumps up to 200k a week, 
awful lot of money. People will start moaning about it. That annual cost of the player will still be less than pretty much every single uh, player that Chelsea buys. You know, he's on a decent amount of money, still less than, you know, Cover, Jorginho, Kepa, all the Timo. They're, they're, they're so much cheaper. So that kind of argument for me, it, it's, it's a bit of a non-starter. Not that I think Chelsea will jump players up to 200k a week, but just to give you that extreme, you know, kind of monetary example. Um, so it will come down to, I think, yeah, if, if Roman is happy to, to pay the guy 300k a week, Again, I'm assuming that's going to be a base salary. So that could be anywhere over up to 400, pounds a week, depending on appearances, depending on goals, depending on whatever. Um, and then the obviously the, the transfer fee, um, then then he will be a Chelsea player. It, it will purely, purely come down to Abramovich. Um, if he wants him, he will be here. If he doesn't, you know, not if he doesn't want him, but if, if the argument can't be made that, that he is absolutely above and beyond, you know, critical to the, the future success of Chelsea, that he won't be here. So I'm not going to say like 50-50, 25% or whatever. Um, I just think that it, it is almost in some question, it will be a very black and white decision. If Roman wants him, he will be here. If if he cannot be persuaded or if, if there are arguments in the club that it's not worth it, then he won't be here. But yeah, that that, that will be sort of the, the way that I'd answer it. So apologies for not giving a percentage, but I think hopefully that gives some, some context around whether he's uh, yeah. likely to come or not. How about this bouncing back to the question? May not give a percentage again, but bounce back to the question. The constants around the question: Do you think that Chelsea have a better chance at signing Holland this summer, or if they wait until next summer, do you think that opportunity kind of slips away because of the market this this summer? I think this will be the best chance that we have to yeah, to sign him. I agree. Um, if if. Uh, Let's say next season that, um, you know, fans are back in stadiums and things yep. are slightly more normal from a financial perspective. I think a lot of big clubs still have some, probably quite some way off in terms of being able to compete with Chelsea financially. They have to build up their cash reserves, but they will be in a much better position to to pay. Because what you have to factor next summer is, is I think that the buyout fee for, for Holland is like around £70 million, which... You know, is not an awful lot of money for a big club to pay, even even in, you know, the period where they don't necessarily have that much money behind them because of COVID. So next summer, if you want to wait to season and see if you can compete with him again, um, it's it's tricky. You know, Real Madrid can come back in for him. I assume Barcelona can come in for him. City, United, all of the clubs, all of the money clubs will have that opportunity to come in. But almost paying, I would say, the and the way that I would treat this as a as a kind of probably the way that I'm, I'm sort of adjusting it in my own sort of mental model here, you're almost paying a hundred million pounds for the privilege to buy him a season early. Because if you think if it's a, you know, 170 million pounds is probably going to be the absolute highest point or the ceiling for which the transfer would go to. So if you're happy to pay that next summer, so really you're paying a hundred million pounds to get him a season early. And that, that is probably the way that I would sort of posit this in, in my own kind of way of, of rationalizing it is whatever money you pay now, you know, deduct 70 off of it if you if you were going to get him next season. And that is kind of the, you know, it's like uh, the, 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 the season early trigger to get him here. So, you know, think of it as probably the most expensive loan fee that anyone will ever pay for a player to get him a season early. Um, but I do think in terms of your in terms of your question, Shane, that this is certainly a summer that Chelsea still have an incredibly dominant position in the market. And yeah, of course, Dortmund are going to try and extract the most amount of money out of it. But for all of their posturing and all of the sort of the, the kind of phony war phase that we're entering, are they really going to want to lose out on 50, 60 you know, million pounds because they want to keep him for an extra season? 
you know, as, as much as, as people can, can, you know, stand there and have an ego and, and try to sort of present this kind of image that they don't have to sell him. Dortmund are a selling club. Their entire model is based on getting players in cheap and selling them high and then reinvesting that money in good players. I don't see how as a club they could turn down, you know, 60, maybe 70 million pounds when next summer he's, he, he can leave the club for half of what they're going to get this season. It doesn't make any business sense. It doesn't make any fiscal sense. And as a club that operates very much within those kind of realms as a sensible club, for me, it's going to be a question of, of, of what sort of negotiation can happen on that, on that deal, because whatever you pay this season, you know, if you want to, if you want to let him stay there for another year and then risk, you know, being competing with five, six clubs next season, and you still think that you're going to be the favorite, that's absolutely fine. But it's almost just, uh, you know, think of it as, as paying, paying a premium to get him in early. Um, that, that would be how I try to rationalise it. So, yeah, this is, this is Chelsea's best chance. Um, I don't think we have any competitors for him. So it's just going to be a question of whether we, as I said, whether Roman wants a deal to happen and then whether we can obviously come up with, a, with, with the financial package that Dortmund are happy with. It's interesting looking back at last summer with, with Borussia Dortmund and mentioning the likes of Jay and Sancho's deal. That kind of went wayward at the last tick of the hour to try to go with Metrish United and Dortmund now are going to lose a lot of money on that player from, from what they would have yep. received last season. So, I mean, maybe they've learned their lesson um, from Jay and Sancho because, I mean, I think we're talking like a good 15 million, 20 million. I think United would have paid probably 90, 95 million British pounds to, to, to sign Sancho last summer. And now they're asking for him for about 75. So, I mean, maybe Dortmund have learned that lesson from last season the prices come down and like you mentioned for holland's sake of things he'll have a lot more options next summer but at the same time when you're going to be offered maybe 350 400k a week at a club i mean that's kind of hard down that's kind of hard to turn down for him it's hard to down, turn down for mina raiola especially because we are the champions of europe and um and, and he's, he's we're all we're really his only option this summer so i mean hopefully Chelsea get the deal done this year because, like you mentioned, the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid, who really aren't really in the best financial position this summer after their fans come back to the new camp and into the new Bernabeu next season. I mean, they're going to be having a lot of revenue that's going to be coming in over these next campaigns. So I think this summer, I think it's a good question to transition to is I think the summer is the best, the best chance for Chelsea to sign Erwin Holland. Now, though, let's move on to one Declan Rice. And this wasn't really a question that a listener had, but I just want to talk to him about because there was a report. I don't even think it was, I mean, maybe it was a little bit, I mean, maybe it was a little bit a week ago, but um, Thomas Tuchel reviving Chelsea's interest in West Ham. Matt Law wrote a brilliant article about how the German admires the midfielder that is the West Ham vice captain. Um, a couple of months ago, there was a lot of reports thrown out there that the interest kind of ended after, of course, Frank Lampard was, was sacked at the realm. But Tuchel, which is not a surprise, has been growing as a fan of Rice himself. The player will be recommended to the board, Matt Law says, regarding the upcoming transfer window this summer. The only problem may be that price tag. And Chelsea might have to pay upwards of $90 million for, for this player. So I know you have a lot of other players that you might want to talk about in the midfield that may be a little bit less cheap. But starting off with Rice, and then we'll get into those other options. There's a lot of different options here because... They could, Chelsea could use Tammy Abraham as a make weight in the potential deal, Matt Law says. The Hammers have been pretty interested in, in bringing Tammy Abraham in for a strike position, especially because that's kind of an area that they that they like quality in. But also, 
I mean, if Ross Barkley is using this deal, I mean, that might be the deal of the lifetime for, for Chelsea fans. But I mean, the most the most realistic option is is West Ham need a lot of money. They're not going to let Declan Rice leave for probably anything under 75 million pounds. So what are your thoughts on the situation? Because there's clearly interest from Tuchel, but how much interest does he have to, to pay that to pay that big wage, but also to pay that big transfer? Because there's also a lot of other midfielders out there, like we've talked about before, that are going to be a lot cheaper, but as well, they're pretty young and they have the quality. But starting with Rice, what are your thoughts on the situation? But also, what are your thoughts on on Tuchel kind of being an admirer over these past couple weeks? And I mean, it's not it's not really a surprise that he's that he's grown interest in the player. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a huge misconception on Rice from people who obviously have uh, certain preferences when it comes to Chelsea players. So that there's like a clear correlation between people who are huge fans of Jorginho and, and people that don't necessarily want to bring in somebody like Declan Rice. And when it comes to sort of the Premier League, it's it's no real surprise to me that Thomas Tuchel has has been part of the, the Premier League for a short period of time and has kind of revived that interest in Declan. Um, I think first and foremost, I think when he plays for West Ham, certainly for kind of in terms of how he's used for David Moyes, he's, he's given sort of quite a limited role in terms of what he is meant to be doing. And I think, you know, people take that, that role that he is playing um, and then extrapolate that to saying that he can't do X, Y, and Z when it comes to, you know, whether it's ball progression or his range of passing or all this sort of stuff that people want, want to talk about. Rather than looking at the fact that it, it's West Ham system, they want to play incredibly compact. You know, they want Declan to be a sort of destroyer and somebody who is sort of very neat and tidy rather than having a little bit more kind of range to his game, which maybe we see for, for England at times. So I think he's he's quite underrated in that respect in that he is, I think he's way more technically gifted than people give him credit for. You know, he's two-footed. He's, I think I think he's got a very good range of passing when he's allowed to use it. Um, you know, he can he can finish, he can shoot, he can play box to box. And I think the most the most important thing that Declan would would bring to Chelsea, and this is something, and again, you know, I have to always caveat this because people always just assume that I'm taking shots at players, but when you play or when you want to play with more risk in your team, you want to be more attack-minded. That naturally increases the spaces that you have in your team and the spacing between players. What we see with this Chelsea team, it's incredibly compact and it has to be because of the weaknesses that we have in midfield. You know, um, again, these aren't shots at players. It's just if you look at the past three, four seasons, when Chelsea tried to play an open, expansive game, we are often caught in midfield. And again, you know, if, if that if that is something that offends you, then that's more your interpretation of, of football than mine is. So what somebody like Declan gives you, and probably his biggest strength, his A, his ability to defend in space, his ability to, to stop counterattacks by just excellent defensive positioning. And in this case, he really reminds me of somebody like John Obi Mikel. You know, Mikel, one of his biggest strengths was his ability to stop counters, not by necessarily winning the ball or intercepting, but by holding play up by two, three seconds to allow the rest of his teammates to sort of shuffle back in and get into position. And that, for me, that is one of Declan's biggest, biggest skill sets is that when the game is in transition, instead of just getting bypassed, you know, again, Jorginho in space is just an absolute disaster. Same with Mateo Kovacic. Instead of just getting bypassed and then, you know, you have, you know, an entire counterattack sprinting at your back four or back three or whoever it may be, that ability to just hold the player up for two, three seconds allows so many of your teammates to get back into, into position. So I think from, from what he can bring to the team, I think also from what we could unlock in his game, it's it's no real surprise to me that Tuchel is a, is a big fan. I'm assuming that he is also talking to, to players in, in, in the squad, whether that's Mason Mount, Rich James, Ben Chilwell, people that know him in terms of what he can bring. Um, 
difficult partner obviously comes into actually getting the, the deal over, over sort of the, the line here. And, you know, I don't think that Declan at least appears to me to be a player that is going to put in a transfer request or is going to be disrespectful to the club that he's playing for. Um, I think West Ham, given the fact that he has so, so many years left on his contract, you know, they do hold a fair amount of power here. Um, again, in reference back to sort of the Dortmund style here, there will be a lot of posturing. There will be a lot of egos in play. Um, you know, there will be uh, reluctance to want to sell to Chelsea. I mean, the last player that they sold us, obviously, you know, that we, they sold us Joe Cole, they sold us Frank Lampard, which didn't go too well for them. You know, they've, they've not had a great relationship and they have to have some sort of optics or PR perspective to their fan base. You know, if they sold Declan Rice to us and then he went on to go and win loads of Premier Leagues and, and maybe a couple of Champions Leagues or whatever it might be, you know, it, it's it's the whole Frank Lampard scenario repeating itself again, which obviously I think there is a little bit of a political kind of back end to this that, that people are maybe not appreciating as well. Um, and they do, they, they have every right to want to charge, you know, £70 million plus for him. Um, in, in the scheme of, I think, what Chelsea are looking to, to do, um, I would personally, and I think probably at the moment, it's why I'm a little bit reticent to be fully on board with the Hakimi signing. I would rather go and sign the top striker that we want and the top midfielder and then look at sort of where the, the cards lie on the table thereafter and use, use kind of the money there. Um, but I, I would prefer to, to see Chelsea make a, a bit of a push for him to, to, to come in um, and, and sort of make a, a huge difference to the team. But I do think that there is going to be, it's not just the financial package that Chelsea need to put together for him. I have no, absolutely no qualms whatsoever. The, the, the negotiations with Declan and his people will take about five minutes. You know, he obviously, I think it's pretty obvious to people that he wants to come to Chelsea now. Um, but the thing that we have to factor in is, is the, the West Ham side of things, not only just a transfer fee, but the, like I said, that, that optics part on their side is going to be absolutely huge because it's Chelsea, because of the history of, of them dealing with us, because of the rivalry. Um, I do think that there is going to be some elements of, of play there. So, um, you know, whether Chelsea can, can get that deal over the line, I'm not sure. I don't think it's just as, as simple as, as paying 70 million and giving them, I don't know, Tammy or, or Barkley or whoever, whoever it's going to be. I think there's a lot more kind of going on on the back end there. And again, just to sort of finish up here, the, the, the problem that Chelsea have is that, that Declan has still got a considerable amount of time left on his contract there. So there's not really a, a time sensitive or time pressure element for West Ham to deal with. It's really just a question of whether Chelsea can, can put together a package. One thing I'll say, and it's just, I've just literally remembered it here just to finish the rice point off. West Ham have, I think, bought two midfielders already this window. So for me, all of the posturing and all of the, the public stuff, um, they are maybe preparing for life without Declan. So maybe they are getting their sort of, you know, their kind of ducks in a row and their, their eggs in, in the right basket before they start entertaining deals there. So, um, yeah, there is, there is that side of things as well. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, whether Chelsea will pay the money. But I think West Ham are certainly starting to at least um, quietly prepare for life without him. For me, it's the intangibles that he possesses. I mean, if Thomas Tuchel sees these intangibles that I see, and I think that's why he's so interested in, in the player, you go out and spend however much money you need to for the player. Because for a manager who's just come in and changed the whole perception of how the club is seen in the eyes of Europe and in the eyes of the world, winning the Champions League, you back the manager. And if Thomas Tuchel wants to sign this player, you go to whatever heights you need to just sign him. Because if the manager who just won you the Champions League by tactically outwitting every single other manager in the biggest league in the world pretty comfortably, 
up until the final and even in the final. The player, the board. The problem for me is the board right now, I think, is is kind of reluctant just because of the fact that he was a player of on Chelsea's radar. I mean, he 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 played for Chelsea so long ago, but I think it's the board being a little bit stubborn right now. And in my opinion, they need to back the manager and they need to pay whatever money they need to for the player because I think the intangibles, but also the skills that he possesses is really special for, for this team going forward and it could really lead us to great things. Um, transitioning into um, transitioning into the next topic that we have, and it's another topic that Thomas Tuchel is interested in, another player that he's been rumored with, that Chelsea has been rumored with over the past week or so, is Akron Fahimi from Inter Milan. And if you want to back the manager, you want to back Thomas Tuchel. The, the manager wants... Hakimi. Um, but this is the question that I have, Joe. If Thomas Tuchel is really pushing for this Hakimi transfer, is this a clear signal for that back three to stay next season? And also, a, a, a question that's coming in from our mailbag is, should we invest the 50, 60 million pounds to sign a player like Hakimi this summer? Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a, a tough one to answer. Um I I would have some reservations about whether this is a a move that has come from come from Thomas Tuchel or whether this has come from the club who have tracked him for a while and are trying to make the that's it they're trying to make the best of an opportunity that seemingly has presented itself in the market and the reason that I say that is that if you go back maybe two maybe three weeks. Um, if you ask Chelsea fans what the priority was, it was sort of a midfielder, a striker and a centre-back. You know, nobody was mm. really talking about the, the sort of wing-back position as being an area of need. And I think a little bit, it does reflect upon, you know, maybe Chelsea fans, maybe football fans in general. But when you get presented with the opportunity to sign a name, like a big-name player, um, people will then obviously start making all of the arguments necessary to, to back up the opinion that somebody like Hakimi is, is necessary. Now, you know, I want to sort of state before I get into things in a bit more detail, I think Hakimi is, is a very good footballer. I think he's a very, very talented player. Um, 22 years age, 22 years of age, obviously has a, a lot of football ahead of him. What I am kind of less infused with and maybe less kind of correlated to, you know, this sort of uh, big push from, from the sort of Twitter side of things to, to sign him um, is that I think people are just assuming that he sort of plugs and plays and, and is the, exactly the same player in the Premier League in the same system that you know that, that Chelsea are playing. Now there's a couple of things at play here. So with with Hakimi, you know he, the way that he is deployed as a wing back, the way that he is used, the instructions that he plays with, are far different to what players in uh, you know who play wing back for Chelsea are. Inter Milan have three three midfielders. They play more of a three-five-two with two defined strikers, three guys in midfield. Um, Chelsea obviously play the that kind of four in midfield with two central midfield players. And one of the the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest kind of I would say requirements of Chelsea's wingbacks is to actually be a kind of defensively minded player first and foremost. And by that I mean when you play certain players in Chelsea's pivot. You know, they don't have the capacity to defend, you know, sideline to sideline or even defend half of the pitch themselves. And one of the requirements from the wingbacks that Chelsea have is that these two players massively help the two central players in terms of defending that, that sort of middle portion of the pitch. So you know, they will deal with the wide areas. It leaves 
uh, Chelsea's kind of midfielders with less area to cover in terms of defensively. And when you have players who lack the mobility and maybe the defensive skill to, to play in space, giving them that, that compact area to defend in is, is a massive reason as to why we've had so much more success def um, you know, defensively under Tuchel, this compact shape, making things a lot tighter, making the space between players a lot more narrower. And that means that certainly when it comes to the wingbacks that we have, their utilisation is not to be a traditional wingback in the sense that you have, you know, they are the, the main outlet for width. They are the, one of the main attacking players in the team to have more of like a winger skill set than more of a fullback skill set. They are almost being used as a wide midfielder in the sense that, you know, Reese James or Ben Chilwell um, will defend that sort of portion of the midfield and then obviously drop back into to form a back five. So first, you know, firstly, looking at sort of the way that they're used, Hakimi is much more of an attacking outlet. He is much more of a, a winger. He is much more of a player that obviously he, he, he can, you know, he can defend. You know, I'm not saying that he's not a defensive player, but the way that he's utilised, the way that he, you know, the, the, the natural way that he plays that position is not in any way, shape or form the, 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 the way that Chelsea currently play the system. So if Hakimi is to be bought, you know, you want him to play his natural game. That means that you either change the game model, you either accept more risk in the team, or you, you know, you need to look at play, uh, you know, you need to look at playing different players in, in midfield and also in, in different positions in the team to account for the fact that Hakimi is going to be much more of a final third player than a guy who is there to support the midfield, to support the defensive phase of play. Secondly, I think one of the things again that, that kind of is, is a tiny red flag to me, I would say is that the majority of wingbacks in, in Serie A that we, we've either bought or that play there currently um, have not worked out well for Chelsea. And also, you've, you've got guys like Robin Gerzens, I think that's how you say the, the guy's name at Atalanta, you know, who's got this absolutely ridiculous amount of goals and assists this season. And, and, and you know, he's just such a, a formidable player in Serie A. I don't know if there is just a, a reason why, you know, even guys like Victor Moses went there and, and played fantastic. You know, Juan Cuadrado, was, was a really, really underwhelming player at Chelsea. Went to play for Juventus, has been a phenomenal wing-back. And then you look at, you know, Marcus Alonso, Emerson Palmieri, David Zappacosta. We've not exactly, you know, the exchange of, of quality is not always there. So I'm a little bit concerned that there is some sort of artificial inflation of, of players in these positions um, in terms of their, their kind of output. Third thing, again, just, uh, you know, just sort of going through sort of the, the, the sort of Hakimi things here. Um, I went and took a look at all of his underlying stats. So I'm not looking at expected assists and expected goals. I think it's a given that he is going to be probably one of the best players in Europe in his position with those metrics. But, you know, there was an absolute ton of, um, of, of other metrics that I looked at. I just, just compared him to Reese James. And, you know, when you're looking at sort of build-up metrics, you know, passes into the final third, passes into the penalty area, uh, carries into the final third, all defensive metrics, tackles one, you know, even, even completed dribbles. I went through so much stuff on, on FB Ref just to have a look. And it, it's actually quite amusing to see that Reese James is, is better than Hakimi in, in the majority of metrics bar, you know, expected goal, expected assists and, and goals and assists. So kind of in the build-up phase as well, I, I'm questioning a little bit the interpretation that Hakimi is this sort of Mr. Creative, this creativity monster, when a player that I think from at least a certain portion of the fan base gets lambasted a tiny bit for his, you know, his lack of creative output, that Reese was, was actually, I'm not talking about massively better, like in some cases it was, you know, uh, a hundredth of a, a hundredth of a decimal better, but still better in, in terms of these kind of per 90 metrics. So I'm a little bit curious as to whether people have actually watched Hakimi play, um, and, and, and unless they're just forming an opinion on, on sort of the goals and assists on him. 
what I would say, and I think taking it back to your point in terms of in terms of Tuchel's requirements, I think if this this signing or the interest in this player to me absolutely suggests that we will be playing a back three next season. Um, you don't buy a 60, 70 or even 80 million pound rated wing back to come in and compete with somebody like Reese James, who I think is is a much better fullback than Hakimi. If you're talking about a back four, more well-rounded, more balanced, better defender, um, plays the, the role of a fullback in attack for me in, in a much better way. Um, so I'm not sure you're bringing in Hakimi to to compete with Reese James, I think that would be a very stupid waste of, of money to bring in and have two players of that quality competing for one position on the pitch. So it does to me suggest that the club or, or Tuchel probably sees Reese James's future as a sort of right-sided centre-back with Hakimi, you know, playing as a, as a wing-back there. Absolutely no problem. I think that's a fantastic setup. But then the question I would then ask is, is what, what happens to Azpilicueta? You know, people were making assumptions that he is going to drop out of the team. Um, you know, this is a guy that, that will play, I think, until he literally can't run anymore. Tuchel obviously loves him, plays him over pretty much every player. He starts every meaningful game. So where does this sort of leave kind of Reese James in that sort of rotation? And then the, the final part, really, in the last part, I know this is getting to be quite a thorough answer here, but when you have somebody like Valentino Livramento, who for me is probably the best under-20 wingback in, in world football, waiting in your academy, maybe even good enough to come and compete and start playing in that position next season. When we're talking about creating player pathways and creating opportunities for Chelsea's academy players to come in and actually genuinely have a chance, if you buy Hakimi, who is you know four years older than him, um, that pretty much puts to bed the fact that, that, that Livermento is going to go. And you know you've got a player here. I think he has you know one year left on his contract, which means that he's not going to go out on loan. And then at the end of next season, he will just have to his pick of European clubs to go and play for. And again, you're losing a player who. I think possibly could could be a, a Chelsea first team starter um, for the basis of, of, of you know sort of adopting this kind of win now mentality. So, I mean, overall, you know, Hakimi is is a very good player. I don't think he is quite as um, sort of you know, generational or game changing. I think as people who are on social media are trying to make out. I think he's obviously going to be a great player to add to the squad. He has lots of quality. Um, but when you factor in, unless Chelsea change their tactics and the way they use their wing backs. You're asking him to come in and not necessarily perform his kind of natural role. That is yeah. the first red flag for me. And the second thing in terms of the price, you know, for a mm, player that for me, yeah, you know, people are saying, oh, but he can play on the left. He can play as a winger. Like he is an exceptionally good right wing back. He is, an, mm. he is a good, you know, left-sided player. He is an okay to good right winger. He's not world-class in every single one of these positions. Um, so you're, you're just sort of, you're factoring that this is a very, very specific player in a very specific system. And as much as I want Tuchel to be here for the long term, we know as Chelsea fans that he, you know, if we get two, three years out of Tuchel, that's that's a lot by Chelsea standards, you know. And then are you then tying yourself to having a guy who is exceptional in one in one system in one position, and then mm. you know you're, you're a guy who comes in and wants to play four two three one four three three whatever it may be, but then again you have the headache of having two players in Reese and Hakimi who are then again competing for for one position. So. You know, I think there are, you know, I'm not suggesting that we, you know, don't sign him and that he's not a good player and all this sort of stuff. I think, you know, people tend to jump to that conclusion. Yeah. Repeat again, I think he's an incredibly good footballer. But mm. when you're looking at resource allocation, you're looking at Chelsea's real, real needs. Priorities, I don't think yeah. particularly if you, you're exactly, yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, nobody was talking about right wing back. And I think mm. people are getting attached to the name. They're getting attached to the opportunity. Um, I would rather take that money and spend it on another midfielder 
I would rather take that money and spend it on a centre back. But mm. you know, Tuchel, I think obviously it would, would have okayed the move. Probably sees the addition of a right-sided player as beneficial. I just think that all of the caveats in there, and I think again, blocking somebody as good as Livermento, I would maybe mm. take a take a little bit of a, a second look at the transfer and whether it's really really worth it. Mm. Well, thanks for answering that question pretty extensively. I loved your analysis right there because it made me think more of what you just mentioned, which is what are our priorities this summer? And and a right-sided player really shouldn't be high up on my list. I mean, you're talking upwards of 60 million pounds for a player who, like you mentioned, Joe, is an exceptionally good right wing back. When you want to change a system, when you have a guy like Reese James, who's probably better at the player and is even younger age-wise, do you really want to spend 60 million pounds on the, on the player? That, that's the question that I pose right now. And it's just, there's, there's a lot of places that Chelsea can go spend that money in. And one of those places is that center back, like you mentioned, and this kind of transitions into our nest talking point and, and, and how we finished out the blog today and the podcast today with center backs, because it's a nice combination of a lot of news surrounding the club about center backs who are potentially going to leave, but also center backs who might have the opportunity to impress right. Thomas Tuchel in preseason. So that's a question that we have coming up pretty soon. But now I want to transition into Antonio Rudiger because there was a big story yesterday on theathletic.com talking about how he wants to sign another contract with Chelsea, but also how he wants to get a big pay rise. This is the key for Antonio Rudiger's future at the club. He's not in the top 10 earners, according to Simon Johnson, who's one of the best sources out there. He loves playing under Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel loves him in his squad. But at the same time, Antoine Rudiger is afraid that this might be his last big contract. So he wants to go get as much money as he can secure for his last playing days as a player. He's a brilliant player. I mean, a lot of Chelsea fans have have kind of attached to him in these past couple of months because he's means so much to this club, not only on the pitch, but also intangible wise and also how much he respects this badge right here and how much he respects what it means to play for this badge and it was kind of a worry for mine when I saw that report yesterday because even though his future looks pretty bright at the club you'd think that he'd want to sign another extension it's not about that he's not happy at the club it's more or less about his future and security as a player and as a footballer. So what are your thoughts on the report and also how this might change Chelsea's plans going into the summer? Do you think they look at a center back now with the uncertainty of Antonio Ruger, but also the uncertainty over, over Kurzuma's situation as well? Yeah, this is, uh, this is an inter- interesting one for me because I, I'm somebody who has not been a particularly big fan of Antonio Rudiger since he's, yeah. since he's been at the club. I think if you really were to to be you know look at things through a a critical eye, and again you know when you're talking about making somebody almost like a two hundred thousand pound a week player, which I think is sort of the level he wants to be at, you have to look at their body of work at the club. And you know I think he's been here. I think this is his fourth season now. I think he's he's going into his fifth and final year of his contract. Yeah, he has had, I think you know, from, from January until now, he has been absolutely exceptional. And even as somebody who isn't particularly keen on him, I can absolutely say that he has been exceptional from January until now. But I think prior to that, he's been one of the most underwhelming players that I've seen at Chelsea. You know, he, he had a little bit of a, a kind of good patch of 
their form under under Conte and sort of the back three. Um, not certainly not to the degree that we've seen kind of recently. Um, and then obviously when we've switched to a back four system under Sari and Frank Lampard, I actually think at times he's he's been quite bad at, on on you know sort of in occasion as well. Um, whether you then put stock in him having this massive resurgence on the Thomas Tuchel and that being the catalyst for a, a huge contract. I think that is, is one of the questions that Chelsea have to answer. For me personally, I think, you know, if Chelsea are going to stick to a back three for the next five years, then sure, you know, sign Rudiger up and, and play him. I, I still don't, I'm not certainly just going to say that he's a player that I'm really ever going to fully take to at Chelsea. Um, but you have to respect the ability that he's shown in the system. What I would say is that if Chelsea ever want to transition to a back four, the, the, the comfort that Rudiger has in this system with, with the three centre-backs, it allows him to play that aggressive role in, in the defence, knowing that he has Christensen or Silva sort of covering him, that he has a wing-back there as well. Um, when he transitions to a back four, you don't quite have that same security blanket. You don't have the double pivot in front of you. Typically, when Chelsea play, it's normally with a, a single uh, number six. Don't have that comfort of having the centre-back, you know, because... You've got three guys effectively defending the width of the penalty area. That switches to two. You're, you're kind of taking care of half of the half of the width of the penalty area each. You don't have that degree of comfort, and the reckless and kind of the the, the sort of the stuff we've seen from him historically is always a massive concern to me. From my perspective, and again, I appreciate I have massive academy biases, and people, you know, again, I have absolutely no issue saying that I do. If I am Chelsea going into going into this uh, summer, if a good offer came in for Rudiger, I would I would look into selling him. And it's nothing against what he's done lately. Um, but I certainly believe that somebody like Mark Gerhi, who I'm an enormous, enormous fan of, under Thomas Tuchel in this system, could completely and utterly replicate what, uh, what Antonio Rudiger has, has done. Sure, the intangible stuff and sort of the, the way that he has kind of played for the, for the badge for the past couple of months is, is tricky to, to sort of, you know, kind of, I suppose, replace him anyways. But again, I think a lot of that has 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 been very recent for me, and it's not necessarily something that I've seen for the you know his entirety, um, you know, kind of time of being at the club. I'd also say you get that from Mark Gerhi as well. You get that playing for the badge. You've you've come through the academy. You get that connection to the club, um, and it's it's an opportunity to, to I think possibly get a pretty decent fee for for somebody who I think at the moment can only really play at this level in one particular system. You know, if he plays, if he switched to a back four next year and he's incredible, I would absolutely hold my hands up and say, fair play. You know, he's, he's come on a lot as a player. But from what I've seen, and, and you know, again, just, just, just going on what he's done at Chelsea, historically, you know, in a back four, this, this isn't the same player. And I think, you know, if you think it is, then that's fair enough. But I, I think that his performances recently show that he is by far a much better player. But he has the, the security of the, of the wing back near him, of the other centre-back playing a lot closer to him. Um so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to his contract and contract renewal, I think you're right. He has to do what's best for him and look for that one final big payday. I would be surprised if Chelsea, you know, double mm. his wages or whatever it's going to be to sort of the level that he wants. Because for as much as he has been a good player under Tuchel, probably one of our better performers, um, you know, certainly this, this sort of second half of the season, I think you have to question a little bit where this level of performance has been for the past three, three and a half years. Um, and also going forward, I think you have to, again, look at whether this is going to be something that is going to be replicated in the back four. Um, and again, you know, there, you know I, I don't want to dig into all the sort of the Matt Law rumours and stuff around him as well. But I don't necessarily see him as being this kind of, you know, 
essential piece of the dressing room that, that people couldn't do without and, and, and a player who is going to be you know, massively missed by loads of people. So I think there is an element of, of looking to maybe capitalise on his form, selling him for an extraordinary amount of money and then bringing in somebody for three, like Mark Gerhi, who has been excellent in that, in that sort of position for, for Swansea. Sure, it's the Premier League adaptation and all that, but I think uh, his physical traits make that quite an easy transition for him mm. um, and just his general kind of intelligence as a player as well. Um, so maybe that's something I'm, I'm looking at there. And then I think, again, you know, you, you, you're possibly then looking for your, um, you know, kind of investing maybe some of that money from Rudiger into your centre-back of, of the future. Um, mm. would say, though, that I think when it comes to Chelsea centre-backs, when you've got Gerhi, when you've got uh, Xavier Mbiamba coming through, mm. um, you know, Levi Colby, you, you have guys that I think can become Chelsea standard players. You know, whether you then want to go, and again, it's a, it's, it's a little bit similar to Liveramento, whether you want to go out and buy a, you know, absolute superstar centre-half. Um, I think maybe you do because that's the guy you want to take over from Thiago Silva, but I wouldn't necessarily flood that, that centre-back room with, with loads of new signings. I think if you, if you can pinpoint one, bring that one player in that's quite special absolutely i think you should do it um but i am certainly of the opinion that mark go he can absolutely fill in for um antonio rudigo this season and you know if, if he goes on loan and he gets a premier loan and whatever um it's going to be interesting to see how he does but i do think certainly the way that tuchel coaches that back three um Gerhi is is almost the ideal candidate to, to replace him you know if rudigo wants that big salary he wants that big contract and chelsea give it to him fair enough um it's just, again, it's a question of, of resource allocation. And I don't think that, that, that Rudiger is, you know, uh, you know, 10 million pound a year in terms of wages, more, you know, in terms of, of ability, you know, something like Gerhi. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be one of those I think will be interesting. There won't be any movement, I think, until after the years has concluded. Um, I think Rudiger's agent is probably playing this quite well. I think he's probably, you know, looking at other clubs and giving them you know, the opportunity. You know, he's got one year left on his deal. If you want him, this is the time to get him. You know, all that sort of stuff is happening in the background as well. Um, so this will be, I think, an interesting one to see how this actually plays out. That's fascinating. I mean, think about how, how much money he wants, but also the length of the deal. I mean, this is a 28-year-old who has proved himself in the second half of the season this year, but who's wanting a four-year contract. And, and that means that he'd be at the club to at least past 31. So it's the question of, do you want to invest in him for the long-term future? And, and if, if we know anything about the Chelsea board, I think they're a little bit smarter than we are. And they know that Tuchel might not be here for forever. And the system might not even be here until next, like for next season. So I think, I mean, of course, you can cash in on Rudiger big time this summer. I mean, I think you're asking for probably 50 million for the player, at least. I mean, for recollection, we signed them from about 30, 30 pounds, 30 million pounds in 2017. But I mean, you can make a profit off him. Like you mentioned, you have the likes of Umbiamba and you have the likes of Gay who are coming through, who are physical. The issue then for me is does Chelsea value Rudiger and does Tuchel value Rudiger so highly that they do play out this season and just let them leave on a free next summer and sacrifice that 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 sum that they'd get yeah. or do they cut ties this year and not have him in the squad next year because I think I think if we do play back three next year he could be in, and he would probably be a, a very big part of it if he stayed the question is are you willing to forego a lot of money that you could probably get from him because this is the time that he his value is going to be at the highest and, and that's just a fact so 
Rudiger situation is very interesting. Margahi's situation is very interesting. I think training before the season starts after the players finish the Euros in August is going to be really remarkable to watch what Tuchel stops on on these players. Loftus, Cheek, Gehi, Gallagher, and Padua. All these guys come back from loan seeing what their plans are in the manager's eyes. But we know one thing. Chelsea is an absolutely bonkers club. Thomas Tuchel, we know, could be sacked in January. So right now, do the club want to invest the money that is a Rudiger four-year contract, and that is probably 170 pounds, 170,000 pounds a week. That's the question right now. But now to end the episode, Tweeds, I want to talk a little bit about some more potential exits from the club. There's been a lot of talk about Emerson leaving the club. Of course, Zappacosta coming back from loan, Ross Barkley coming back from an unsuccessful loan in Aston Villa. So looking at a lot of the, the players that Chelsea could get a decent amount of money for, this summer, what are some players additionally to Rudiger that you're looking at that probably this is their best time to cash in? Is, is a guy like Loftus Cheek, is this the moment where you can cash on him the most? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to try and work from back to front just mm. so I can kind of formalize this. Um, I think this is the, the window that you try and, and at least move Kepa out on loan. Um, mm. I think Mendy has proven that he is, he is an incredibly competent goalkeeper, particularly you know, in this system um, and, and having a player on, you know, his sort of wages and the amount of money that Chelsea are paying for him in terms of amortization, sitting on the bench every single week is just bonkers. So I think I would start with Kepa. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Chelsea tried to move on both Marcus Alonso and Emerson Palmieri. I think I would make the argument that Alonso has value in this system. If you're going to play a wing back and I, I would maybe keep him around for another season. So Emerson probably for me, is one on the on the chopping block. I think again, you're looking at Rudiger's contract situation. I think he's on about 100k a week at the moment, so obviously a lot of money. But again, I, I just have reservations about doubling someone's wage when they've really only earned it in the past couple of months. Um, so I think again, maybe he is one that that, that is, is probably going to be looked at if somebody makes a good offer. I think Chelsea would consider it. Um, Kurt Zuma probably was from his own career. Maybe he won't push it. But again, I think if a team comes in for him and he can start regularly, I think Zuma possibly is, is, is one that, that's going to be looked, looked at from, from other clubs. Um, if we look at maybe midfield now, I think now that Sari is back in the game, obviously the, the links to Jorginho will, will emerge at some point. Um, and particularly if Chelsea do go out and buy a, a holding player, then that makes his you know his uh, the likelihood of him playing regularly sort of diminish there. Um, again, you know, it's, it's not throwing shade at him. It's just just a natural thing that the club are being looking for a holding player, and and, and that's the position that he plays. Um, I think Barkley will will hopefully go permanently now. Um, you know, I just I just don't see the the benefit of having him. I mean, I know Chelsea make made an awful lot of money on him in terms of the loan fee that was paid, um, but he's just good enough. He, 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 for me, is absolutely fine to have as a squad player. I think he's actually, if he's happy being a squad player at Chelsea and coming off the bench and playing cup games and that sort of thing, I would absolutely have him here. He's a great squad player. Has his little moments, has his little purple patches during the season. But I think the fact that he got benched by like a teenager at Aston Villa, you know, in the second half of the season, and I, I barely heard that he kicked the football for them. You know, he, I think he's more known now for just going out and getting absolutely smashed up on beers than he is for actually playing football, which is, you know, it's a bit of a sad way to, to sort of see his career go. But, you know, I think you're right saying, you know, a failed loan at Villa was was not the best thing for him to come back to. Um, Ruben is an interesting one because I think, again, 
if he was to go to Lazio with Sarri, I think that would be an incredible move for him to play in Serie A. I think, you know, you know, having a season there with a manager that he's played, you know, well under, um, slower tempo to the league, less physical. I think that there's a, there's a good chance that he maybe goes there on loan and plays really well. Um, I'd also, again, I think I'd, I would entertain for his, for his own personal sake, a, a permanent move away from Chelsea as well, just so that he can start getting his career back on, on board. Um, there's no shame to admit that I think that that injury that he got maybe has robbed him of, of having the kind of career that I think some would have expected. Um, Bakayoko, another one to, to, to look at moving permanently. Interestingly enough, of all the players that went on loan, he probably had the best season of midfielders. I think he was very good in Italy. Um, and I do think that maybe the stigma of that Watford game that he had has sort of left him to be almost a, a, a kind of a non-thought in many people's minds. But I think he, again, a, a player that probably was one of the better players out on loan, probably goes. Um, and then I'm probably missing some people out here. I think Gilmore probably should go out on loan um, just to get some some regular football next season. Uh, and then who else have we got maybe in terms of the, the forwards? Um I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if if one of Ziyech, Pulisic, um, maybe even Werner coming into the conversation, or maybe, actually maybe out of Ziyech and Pulisic are being looked at from, from other clubs. And the reason I say this, I think Pulisic wants to play more. And I think at the moment, it's clear that he's not getting the kind of game time that he would want. Um, and Ziyech, again, if we are going to persist with this system, you know, he, for me, he, he is a high and wide player in a 4-3-3. He is not an inside 10 He's not one of these players that's going to play regularly. So I think those two, again, it's a little bit of a, you know, not saying by any such imagination that Chelsea will sell them, but just that, that they maybe are looking at sort of where they fit into this, this system going forward. Mm. And then the obvious ones are, are Tammy and Giroud. You know, Tammy, it's been made clear that, you know, he hasn't signed a new contract. Um, you know, Tuchel has, has made excuses saying he, he doesn't fit the shape, the system, etc. That's absolutely fine. So if, if I'm Tammy and his people, I'm looking to move. And I think Giroud as well will, will probably go. So I think there are lots, there's lots mm. to consider in terms of our goings this summer. Um, you know, we haven't always been able to execute upon them. Um, mm. Often we've wanted way too much money. Often we've, we've, we've kind of, you know, priced ourselves out of the seller's market. Um, but I do think if you're going to start looking at players who cost 150 million pounds, Bryce is like an 80 million pound player. If you're looking at 60, 70, 80 million pounds for Hakimi, you've got to start getting some wages off of the books. You've got to start getting some money into the club. And that for me means if you have to take a 5 million less than what you want on a player, like uh, Batshuayi, for example, mm. uh, you know, we priced him out of a move, move to Leeds. Um, you have to start taking some of that money in because without mm. that money coming in, it's difficult to offset some of these big moves that we want to make. How much do you think the club will ask for Tammy Abraham this summer? I think I think upwards of forty million pounds. Mm. I genuinely I genuinely think that they 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 would want between forty and, and fifty million for him, um, which is weird because obviously they don't forgive him enough to play him at the club. But then you're pricing him at a level that he is a top eight player, you know, top going to a top eight team. So there is there is a little bit of kind of uh, weird psychology going on there that you mm. you don't rate a player, you don't you know you're kind of not including him in any sort of squads etc. You're just saying that he's not good enough. And yet you're commanding or you're going to try and command a fee for him that, you know, would, would probably go out and buy a very good player in, in Europe. Um, you know, somebody that, you know, one of uh, Everton or, or Leicester or somebody like that who would want mm. to go and buy him. Maybe, maybe they see him as like a 25, 30 million pound player. Yeah. Um, 
but you're, you're, you're pricing him at a level that I think prices him out of a lot of moves, which is interesting mm. given the fact that he's barely kicked the ball this uh, half of the season. And I think that's what goes back to your point on maybe Chelsea have to take a little bit of their losses in, in this window, especially the player like Abraham, where he can still get a good fee of 30 million pounds. It's a good fee for an academy player who doesn't have too much of a future, I don't think, in, in this Thomas Tuchel system. And if you get that fee, that's guaranteed cash. It's sad to see the player who go, of course, especially I think how it happened. I think that's why Chelsea fans are so sad just because of how this whole situation has worked out. He's not signed a new contract. He's not in the manager's plans, and he's looking like he's going to go to another Premier League team as well. So it'll be interesting to see that dynamic in the future of him playing against Chelsea because it'd be he'll be very motivated to, to get back on the board, but also to get back on, on the team. Before we go, though, I want to ask a little bit about Olivier Giroud because you brought him up. And, I mean, I think I can speak for myself or for everyone. I can speak for everyone that we were all shocked to see that that, that contract was extended back in April. But I think it's more of a David Luiz situation in the summer of 2019. You signed the player to an extension. You put out PR details about how Marina Grab the Sky is so happy that Olivier Giroud will stay for another season. And then six weeks later, you get a pretty good fee on the player, considering that you probably would have left for free if you didn't sign him to that extension. So do you think this is kind of a David Luiz situation in the summer of 2019? Because even though I'd like, I think I'd love to see Olivier Giroud stay in the Chelsea shirt because he just is such a class player and he, he comes up with the goal that you need him to do the most. But I think this is the time. I mean, of course, if Chelsea can get nine, 10 million, that's really good business from, from the board. I, I first of all, I, I completely agree with the, the David Luiz theory. Um, yeah. I think that is is kind of the angle here. The one thing I would say, and I think I've been entertaining this over the past few days, I think that, that Tammy is out the door. I think it's an absolute certainty that he's mm. going to leave the club this summer. I think Chelsea, knowing that when they did in April when they extended Giroud, I think they've, they've extended his contract a little bit for insurance. And the reason that I say that mm. is if Tammy goes and Giroud leaves on a free, you have basically got Timo Werner and Kai Havertz as players that can play up front for Chelsea. And that puts an enormous amount of pressure on the club to go and find the, the centre forward that they want, um, whether that is Erling Haaland, whether that is Romelu Lukaku, whether that is whoever. I think that they have also extended Giroud partly because they know if, if, if they're struggling to go and buy that player, they still have the option of, of playing him as a, as, as a target man, as a reference point. If they do switch systems and it's more of a 4 3 3 you want that kind of physical presence in the team. He probably has another season of him in terms of playing and you know, kind of dropping in and out of the team. So I do think as well, as well as it being an opportunity for Chelsea to generate money, I do have a little bit of a, um, a feeling that there is also an aspect of it being an insurance policy against Tammy leaving um, and, and, and you know, assuming that it's going to be difficult to sign somebody like Lukaku or somebody like Haaland uh, this window. So yeah, I think the Louise theory is correct. Chelsea have done it to try and get a small transfer fee out of him. Money is money is money, as the saying goes. Um, but there is probably in the in the in the kind of background of, of the deal, there is a little bit, I would say, of a uh, acknowledgement from Chelsea that he does provide you with a goal-scoring threat next season if the worst comes, you know, to the, to the worst, and that we aren't able to sign the, the caliber of player that we want to in this window. So, two two pronged from Chelsea. It's it's a Louise move. I think there's also an element that is that it is a slight insurance uh, move as well. Mm. Yeah, almost like a security blanket as as a yes, yeah, option. Yeah. I mean, he's also a great personality in, in the dressing room. We know that he loves the club, and he was probably pushing for this extension. 
And I'm happy for the player, especially if, if he stays with Chelsea because he's brought us so many great moments over the season that he's played with the club. Would I be sad to see him go for $10 million though? No, because that's really good business on the Chelsea side of things to extend the contract and to get $10 more million that you can use on a player this summer in the transfer window that could make a difference in signing a player that you want. So thank you for Carefree, for Carefree Jam for sending that question. Really appreciate it. Talking a little bit about how a lot of these Chelsea players could exit the club because a lot of this podcast and blog today was talking about potential incomings, but there's also going to be a lot of outgoings in this Chelsea summer window this summer. But once again, Joe, thank you so much for coming on for the interview today. I really like the mailbag type episode. I'm hoping to do a lot more of these in the future with you, hopefully. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, but also the blog today to kind of kick things off. Really appreciate it. Where can my listeners find you on Twitter, but also with all your work that you do for the London's Blue Guys? Yeah, Shane, it's been a it's been a pleasure as usual. So thank you for having me on. Um, in terms of, of links, I think the the Twitter is uh, Joe Tweedy. You can find me at, probably mostly at the the London's Blue Guys as well. So mm. kind of hanging around with them. And if you search for um, Kings Road, sort of under the, the London Street podcast, you'll catch up with the, the first episodes that I've done so far. So, yeah, appreciate the, uh, the, the ability to, to plug those. But, uh, yeah, the Kings Road stuff, and we've got some interesting episodes coming up in the future as well. So stay tuned to those. Mm. Once again, Tweets, thank you so much for the podcast today. I can testament to everyone out there that everyone has enjoyed the Kinsro podcast. And if you guys already haven't listened to the first three episodes, please go. I implore you guys to stop this episode after you, you finish it today and go check it out. Because the nice thing about Joe's podcast that he's starring is you can listen to these episodes at any time. The Euros are going on now. It doesn't matter. Any different soccer time, if you want to listen to them in the next six months in six months from now you can listen to them and, and they have the same content why so that's why i really appreciate what you're doing right now with some great interviews but also some great insight joe so make sure to go check out all this great work for our good friends at the london's glue podcast make sure to check out their keep so loan podcast which i believe is dropping pretty close to the release of this blog because that's one of the best episodes every single season with dick nan and brandon but also the fifth beetle in joe tweedy but once again tweet thank you so much for the <laughs> podcast today you guys can find us on instagram at lad for matthew Harden podcast you can find me on twitter at shane hulkum 13 where you have the links to the blog in my bio page i'm really excited to start this blog it's going to be a lot of fun being able to incorporate one of my favorite hobbies and write in with chelsea because i'm looking forward to this for a long time it took a little while to set up the page of the list of things, but I'm looking forward to covering an array of topics with a bunch of different awesome content creators out there. So stay tuned for more episodes for the podcast, but also editions of the blog, transfer talk. We're going to be reacting to Chelsea's 30 to 38 Premier League match schedule that's coming out in the next week with a lot of awesome content creators getting back the likes of Stanford Church on the podcast very soon again. And the leaks of one of my favorite content creators out there, which is Nini FC. So I'm really looking forward to that. So stay tuned for more pods. Stay tuned for more blogs. And until next time, Chelsea fans, I'm Shane Holcomb alongside Joe Tweeds, and I'll talk to you soon.